Heavy Cardboard, episode 151, Obsession. Coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts, and Edinburgh, Scotland. All right, welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we discuss medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx. We are your hosts. I'm Edward. And I'm Tony. All right. If y'all listen to episode 150, uh, like kind of the front end stuff that we normally do, breaking it up into two episodes, so trying something different. So welcome back, Tony. How are you doing tonight, man? (laughs) I'm good since the last time we spoke, which was seven days ago or so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, Not much different here. A few more games have hit the table. Got a a vaccination appointment. Congrats. That's exciting. It is. It's uh, better late than never, but yeah, two weeks today, I'm I'm getting jabbed, so that's a good thing. Nice, congrats. Jess mm. is getting jabbed for the second time on Friday, so Jealous. I'm looking forward to that. Nice. All right, well, hey, onward and upward, right? Yeah, gotcha. So yeah, two weeks away, so uh, I have a feeling all the people in my age group are kind of getting theirs kind of run about the same time. I had to phone up and... Give them a ton of hassle down the phone before they give me a date, but you know, I don't care in as, the long end. As, I, as long as I get it. Yeah, as long as I get right? it. Right. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, it's good. Glad so to good. hear that's progressing well. Me too. All right. Let's just get into it, shall we? Let's do this. Obsession. Obsession. Mm. I, I, I mean, I feel compelled every time. I, I, I don't know why. I hear you. I hear you. You can't say the word cons- uh, obsession at standard volume, right? You have to. <laughs> You have to obsession it. Thank you. You, you, you have to. Uh, we, right. we got, we, I blame our childhood, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we got that advert as well. It's <laughs> it very much set the bar for terrible perfume ads, terribly yes. per- pretentious perfume ads, right? And it's were, carried on uh, into. Uh, I saw one that had, um, oh God, Pirates of the Caribbean actor. Oh, is this Sauvage? <laughs> yes. It is Sauvage, right? Well, the thing about Sauvage... Which I, don't, is, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know if that's either really impressive or really... <laughs> what? How do you know that? The reason I know that is because... Johnny Depp, that's because it. Because, yeah. one, it's a terrible, terrible advert. It's very much the kind of... It's the high point of just stupid, pretentious perfume ads that right. mean Right, and this goes back nothing. to the whole obsession, Yeah, right? But the other reason I know it is because when it came out a couple of years ago... And you always know it's Christmas, right? When the perfume ads start coming on the television. It's around about the end of November, beginning of December, the perfume ads start, right? Um, and so big kind of bus shelter posters of it you started to appear around town. And some some devilishly funny little buggers started pasting an S over the V. So that so that basically it, it was a big picture of Johnny Depp looking deathly serious and pretentious and it said sausage underneath it. <laughs> and what I I think what I liked about it was that this is the kind of thing that happens on Twitter every day, right? People sure. cut and paste things, make memes left, right, and center. This was a proper old school kind of graffiti kind of vandalism that 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 harmed no one it was just it's hilarious just a lost right? Art, right? Yeah, it's just brilliant so all that's right, the reason, so that's that's the reason I know it. yeah so okay all right that's an excellent excuse i would use that too uh but all right so that <laughs> sausage for men <laughs> yeah. Woo! 
exactly what y'all tuned in for today. All right, <laughs> let's get into it. So, obsession, pride, intrigue, and prejudice in Victorian England, a Dan Halligan board game. <laughs> Published originally in 2018, designed by, you guessed it, Dan Halligan, artwork by, you guessed it, Dan Halligan, and published by Dan Halligan's company, Kayenta Games. Plays one to four players. As far as a playtime, it says 30 to 90 minutes. It lies. Uh, <laughs> as far as availability and cost, hey, good news. It's on the show, so that means uh, it's out of print. But on a serious note, I actually went to Kayenta's website, and I have never seen this level of update, of detail, <laughs> for, like, hey, what to expect. And apparently there are 5,000 copies that are uh, in the reprint coming, and they're going to be uh, going to be sold. Uh, that's for the U. That that's worldwide. Five thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, he it was originally supposed to be June, but he said uh, things are obviously backed up because you know COVID. Yeah. So he's saying probably shoot for or expect probably around August, maybe uh, worldwide. Europe, Canada, so all your normal standard places in Europe, Board Game Bliss in Canada, as well as Australia, Asia type stuff, as well as here in the U.S. So Nice. Um, FYI, and there are 500 copies of the expansions, Wessex and Upstairs and Downstairs, uh, being printed along with the 5,000 copies of the base game. So keep that in mind for everybody out there. As far as plays and player accounts we've experienced, I've played it. One through four. I've played all of them, and I probably played it six, seven times, I would say, total. How about you, Tony? I've not played it solo yet. Um, it was, yeah, I, I, I get enough of a solo itch from it playing it multiplayer, if you know what I mean. <laughs> fair, fair. Well, I'm, sure, yeah. I'm sure we'll get into that. So I played it two, three, and four, and I've probably put, played it oh, maybe, maybe nine, ten times. Kind of across okay. right. across so the I, two, I, three, and four. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we we have a pretty good base oh, yeah, behind yeah, us for, yeah. for this one here. Uh as far as uh what's going on, you want to uh tell folks? Uh, you want to know about obsession. Obsession is nothing about perfume. Obsession is a game where you run a respected family estate in nineteenth century Victorian England. Nineteenth century. I'll get onto that later. Uh and the goal of the game is to improve the estate that you build through the tried and tested medium of victory points, so as to be in better standing with the truly influential folks in Derbyshire, England. Uh, The game takes place over four seasons. Each of those seasons is divided into rounds, and you manage your limited staff resources, which are represented by different meeples of different colour and size. Um, And uh, managing these properly, you'll be able to carry out social activities, on a personal tableau that you build. Uh, that will hopefully attract money, which is always good. Uh, a wider array, uh, array of acquaintances in the form of your cards that come into your hand. A better reputation score. Fulfill some point objectives along the way. And then your estate tableau becomes, as that becomes more influential, you'll be more likely to successfully court a partner from a lo- from the local wealthy family. Um, This will give you a significant bonus, hopefully, and enable you to score more lovely victory points at the end of the year. And we all know the family with the most victory points climb those social circles better by being more fashionable and much more attractive. I mean, what's more fashionable than a ton of victory points, right? Seriously. 
All right. So before we get into the meat of the review here, though, yeah, um, eight, 18th century, 19th century, Victorian England. All right, let's go. Let's just, <laughs> let's just get this out of the way now. Okay. For, for my ignorant American self and for those that maybe aren't as well versed in English time periods, Downton Abbey and Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen stuff. Go ahead. Get it off your chest. Okay. Okay. The the only thing I'm getting off my chest, because I am by no means a historian. I am. You uh, sound like Dan, uh, Dan Carlin right now. I'm not a historian. (laughs) I'm just a fan. of. I'm not a historian, but yeah. God, I love Dan Carlin. Anyway, I am by no means a historian, but it grinds my gears in a horrible pedant, pedant related way when people call this Downton Abbey the board game. Because it's so fundamentally not Downton Abbey the board game. Now, I, not a huge Downton Abbey fan, but anyone that's watched Downton Abbey knows that it takes place in anywhere from like 1910 through to about 1930. The beginning of Downton Abbey is, uh, the, the, the very first a- episode of Downton Abbey, they, they get a telegram saying that the folk that run the estate have died in the crash of the Titanic. This was 1912, right? And Downton Abbey, um, not Downton Abbey, Obsession takes place in the middle of the 19th century, post-Napoleonic Wars, post the recession that followed the Napoleonic Wars, which sets up the board game itself because the families are recovering from the recession and, uh, uh, and are rebuilding up the house. It's actively what you do during the game. So there's a good 70 years between this and Downton Abbey. Now, I understand that a lot of people's experience of seeing certainly recently uh edwardian victorian well edwardian uh, which is downton abbey that seeing this stuff on television is downton abbey but there's about 70 years of difference it's, but I, is there a real difference other than the 70 years right i mean it's that's not that much time in the no, scheme of things i mean we're we've gone from victorian to edwardian uh, oh, which uh, that's a question in and of itself here in a moment, but go ahead. Well, I mean, again, I'm no historian, uh, when it comes to these things, but, uh, uh, the life was, uh, life was very different for people in the 19, you know, pre first world war. And then obviously Downton Abbey gets into the first world war than it was 70 years previously. Um, although the major differences in there, I, I couldn't tell you. Like I said, I'm not. I'm not a historian. This game features servants of the house, right? Servants of an right. upper class family. So that's right. why folk kind of tie that in with Downton Abbey. But yeah, which right. I, I get, to me that seems reasonable. And I don't know the difference between Victorian and Edwardian, other than during the time of Queen Victoria and during the time <laughs> of King Edward. I mean, I get that the literal differences, but I have no idea of the, you know. The, 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 some, I feel like it's semantic, but maybe it's mm, not. Mm, I mean, I sound like it, I'm getting, I sound like I'm grinding my gears because I'm a, I'm a historian and I'm not. So it's like, it shouldn't bother me, but it just, I, well, I don't know why it bothers me so much. Fair so, enough. So, I, I mean, that's okay. So this is so an Jane idea. Jane Austen, the board game, would that Precisely. be a little bit better? Pride and Prejudice, the board game. Right. That makes more sense. Mr. Okay. Dar- Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice came from Derbyshire. Right, 
Well, I mean. There you go. Derbyshire is, for those that don't know, kind of smack in the middle of England, kind of just outside Manchester. Um, so it's nearly up north, but not quite, if that makes sense. And it's very, there's lots of parks. Uh, I think it's called the, uh, there's a big area in Derbyshire called the Peak District. It's all rolling hills. It's all very, very beautiful. Uh, there's a lot of big stately homes there. Um, Chatsworth House is the one that comes to mind. Uh, and judging from the artwork of the game, they've taken all the inspiration from all the stately homes that do exist in Derbyshire. And they've Which makes sense, right? Yeah. And by the way, Derbyshire, which I've learned how to pronounce, yeah. is actually like spelled Derbyshire, but Derbyshire. Derbyshire, so, yeah. Derbyshire. Yeah, far, far from the hardest, you know, most ludicrous kind of English pronunciation to oh, no. get your head around, right? And, and <laughs> hey, hey, living living in the Boston area, I'm, don't even get me started. Yeah, it, it, it seems some of that has come over here. So, digging into this now, discuss the uh, five factors that give the game, contribute to the game's weight. You know, uh, so we'll start out here. I'll list them. So, first mm. off, you have the complexity. So, the rules overhead, kind of the mechanical complexity of the game. The second one is the planning. How much forethought and, you know, the the decision matrix, if you will. How, how important are the decisions that you make in the game going to impact your ability to do well in the game? Then uh, on the kind of flip side of that, the luck and random factors, the more there is, the less your planning and your decisions have impact in the game, right? The fourth thing is the game length. Look, the difference between an hour long game and a five hour long game, <laughs> I think that absolutely should contribute to the weight of a game. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, plus does it overstay, et cetera. And finally, the getting it factor, like how, okay. I read the rule book or I had somebody explain me the rules. Mm. What the hell am I trying to do here? How long does it take me to figure that out? Mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of the five factors that, well, I think, we think, whatever, collectively, uh, that contribute to a game's weight. So we'll start off with the uh, rules overhead, mechanical complexity. Complexity-wise, it is firmly, I think, in a very kind of nice level medium place it's it's a game with a lot of a lot of a, a mix of mechanisms involved in it it's <laughs> don't know this this grinds my gears as well it's also fundamentally not a worker placement game i agree with that right? we're, we're we'll get into that in a little bit but yes it, it has workers that you place but it's not a worker placement game Agreed. Yeah. So it has a lot of mechanisms that you might know from other games. It has resource management. It has kind of hand management and the like. None of these individual areas are overly complex. I think Not at all. Probably, I think you'd probably agree, right? Yes, um, totally. How they all intertwine with each other is like most games that, that throw in a lot of different mechanisms for you to kind of manage. Uh Depends, I think, yeah, it will vary from person to person. I think complexity is very subjective. And some people will grab this instantly and some people will take a few rounds to kind of go, okay, so if I this mechanism builds and fits in with this one and this mechanism fits in with that one or it doesn't fit in with that one. 
Um, but I feel complexity is firmly, firmly in the kind of mid mid level. I don't think any individual part of it is is too complex. I I agree. I mean, there's the whole tableau building. You know, you have a a conveyored market conveyor, meaning you know you buy things, things slide down, etc. So you're going to be building tiles to add to your estate and that then you're going to be playing cards from this, th- this deck that you've been building, even though it's not, you're drawing, you're not drawing cards from a deck. You have a hand of cards from which you're then going to choose how to play them. And in conjunction with, uh, action t- or with your tableau tiles and then managing your staff and all of these little things, then, hey, can I play that tile? Is my reputation high enough? Stuff like that. All these little things, how they tie together, I think, is where the complexity is going to get into. And that's going to be, you know, that whole next step, the the planning one. But as far as the rules overhead, the rule book is weighty, all right? <laughs> and And by that, I mean... It's 16 pages and it's a pretty sizable rule book. And then it has a glossary that's 28 pages long. And we're not even talking about the expansion stuff. So there, there are, I feel like this is one of those games that if you were to sit down and read the rule book, it sounds heavier and harder than it actually is. So that's something to, to keep in mind, but overhead or, or overall, I mean, I agree with you that, yeah, solid midweight, you know, mechanical rules complexity. I think with the rules as well, the rules, there's there's a lot there to digest and there's a lot of surplus stuff there to digest. There's a lot of flavor in it. Um, but it's a game you can teach someone in 10, 15 minutes, right? Because all the individual mechanisms are so straightforward. Uh, you know, that will change. Obviously, it depends on your experience with those mechanisms, mechanisms a little bit. But you can sit down with someone that's never played the game before, but knows board games, right? And go, right, okay, so there's your resource management. You're trying to do that. You're buying your things from here. Uh, this is what you put, you've got in your hand. This is what you need the things in your hand to do. And this is where you're going. And, it, you know, well, that will only take 10, 15 minutes. When it, one of the things when it comes to complexity, I find with board games, is complexity tends to kind of rear its ugly head the moment that you find out you can't do something, right? The moment that you go, oh, I want to do this. Can I do this? No. Why can't I do that? Well, you haven't got the right resources, the right cards, the right building. Oh, why haven't I got them? There's your complexity right there, right? Find that the games that ease you in really, really straight, you know, in a very straightforward way, they'll give you an, games that will give you an opening hand or an opening tableau where everything's very seamless and very smooth and la da 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 da. And then you start to hit tiny walls as the game goes on, but you've, you've learnt the game by then. I think what this game does is you can come up against the, oh, I can't do that reasonably early on, I find. Um, and that's probably because I'm not very good at the game. <laughs> I find myself doing things like, oh, okay, so we'll buy that tile that's got a big number five on it and we'll put it into my tableau. Do, 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 do. Can, I ha- can I host no. a social activity there? Nope. No. Why not? Because you shouldn't have bought that number five. <laughs> Why didn't I? Oh, oh, uh, uh, there's the rub. I have to get rub. my reputation that high. Yeah, uh... there's the rub. That's actually a really, that's a clever way to think about it in a, a perspective that I've never had. I like that a lot. I'm, well, I, f- I, I like that a lot. I remember like one of the key 
games that 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 kind of this brings to mind. It it, it doesn't resemble the game at all. But um, the first time I taught people how to play Brass, Brass is a game that is full of nah, you can't do that. No, no, you can't do that. <laughs> oh, but I want to go there. No, you can't do that. Oh, what? I need some coal. No, you can't do that. There's no coal there. Uh, but I want to deliver it. No, you can't do that either. And you sit there. Uh, and eventually all the, all the you can't do that become your own fault, right? But being, but in the first few runs of the game, it's like you... you're So what learning. the hell can I do? Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that frustrates some people. And I've sat at tables with people being frustrated going, oh, look, I came to play a game where I did things. Why am I being told I can't do most of the things I can do and the th- I want to do and the things I can do are really boring or are really suboptimal? Oh, God. And, you know, you get into that and you figure out how to play around it and you figure out how to, you know, engineer, no pun intended, uh, your own way to do all the things that you want to do. Um, so, yeah, that and having being the kind of chief teacher, I guess, in my game group, uh, I know that I'm always a person that kind of is asked, why can't I do that? Usually because I've, you know, I've read the rules and talked to Bomb or whatever, but I'm the, per- the, 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 the rules teacher at the table is the person that always gets the, right, here's why that, what you did there was a bad move, or this is why you can't do that. This isn't here, this isn't there, you can't do that because of blah, 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 blah. And that's when the person that you're teaching sits, sits back in their seat and goes, oh, right. Okay, I've got some things to think about now. <laughs> but well, and that's a perfect segue then of you know the difference between rules complexity and then the second one being the planning or mm. the forethought and trying to figure your way out of the hole that you may have now put <laughs> yourself into or to how to avoid that hole to begin with. Mm. Well, there's a couple of key things that you have to keep track of the entire time, right? One is the aforementioned reputation number. Your reputation number is one of the things that will stop you doing the things you want to do. Because as the tiles come out in the market and you are influenced into buying particular tiles for the uh, the portion of the game that that uh, encourages you to specialize, go down a particular route in order to gain the favor of one of the fair tiles at the end of the round. You may be encouraged to be buying purple tiles this round. You look at a lovely purple tile that's ended up in a relatively cheap spot in the market and go, "Well, I'm I'm first player as well. Yep, we'll have that." And you put it in your tableau, and then you can't do anything with it for about six rounds because your reputation isn't big enough. And your reputation figure, which you can increase through various bonuses as the game goes on, restricts you from hosting activities or, you know, playing a turn, I guess, uh, at that particular, to use that particular tile. So you can find yourself in spots where you haven't increased your reputation enough to be able to play the best tile on your tableau and get all the bonuses, or maybe you have just achieved the right reputation number and then you look at the cards in your hand and you simply do not have the staff to play the cards in your hand. So with all those variables kind of up in the air, uh, it's a game that the first time you play it and have no concept of what to plan for uh, will bite you in the arse. It simply will. And that's, yes, it will. You know, and that's a perfect way to kind of 
to start to understand how the cogs in the game kind of work. Um, So it does require planning. It does require a good couple of turns ahead and as well as depending on the which tiles you're being encouraged to buy that season for the aforementioned favour, that will encourage you, depending on how many people you're playing with, uh, to how quickly you want to mop up those tiles. Um, So, so yeah, it's, it does, thankfully, and this tends to be the mark of a good game, when you finish playing this game, you do want to play it again because you're, because now you know how it works and now you know what to plan for and, like all the best games, the second game is much better than the first. So there's a, there's a decent level of, st- of strategic planning in this, much more than it looks like it should have, which I right. think is the key thing, right? And we'll talk about the amount of randomness that's in this game, mm. and there there's a, a considerable amount that you can, you can temper that, depending on various variants that you choose to play, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But even though there is, there is a very significant amount of like you said a strategic planning long-term planning that and, and maybe not even long-term planning i would call it mid-term yeah. planning as far as okay it's not short as in hey what do i need to do this turn and it's not long-term looking at end game goals necessarily but now it's a uh, okay in a couple of turns i know that i'm going to need to be able to do this so i need to make sure that i'm hosting this activity or I have this staff available to host this activity in two rounds, or I need to have enough money to be able to uh, make use at the builder's market to be able to buy Mm. multiple tiles at the same time and maximize my efficiency of that. And so kind of that mid-length planning, there is a strong encouragement in this game to have a pretty good handle on that. And yeah, I agree. Mm. Uh, there's, yeah. there's more that, absolutely. I agree with you that there's more here than, than you would at first blush. No, absolutely. You're, you, you know, you have your three main resources with a very small R. I don't mean resources as in wheat and, and wood and, wood whatever, and sheep right, or yeah. whatever. I mean, you have the buildings that you've put into your tableau. You start with some basic buildings so that you can always do some things, right? But in order to use those buildings, you need to have... uh, Some of the buildings will require staff, but... uh, And obviously the staff is another resource and you have to rotate... You you know, you have to have the right staff available. But one of the key things I always forget when I play this game is when I have a beautiful, lovely, recently purchased tile that I cannot wait to use and I've got the staff and I look into my hand and go, well, I don't have have any ladies to go to tea. It's all men. (laughs) I haven't taken any men. And then you realise that the deck, the mild kind of deck building hand management element is much more important than it seems at the beginning. Because in one, at the beginning where you're throwing, you know, you're getting as many cards into your hand as you can. And obviously you have that, uh, the, the, the double-edged sword of, oh, I've got lots of cards, but I'm not going to get the good ones. The whole deck building element of being able to burn a card and all that kind of thing, you know, and, and having a kind of uh, as optimized a deck as possible. But the number of times I've bought a building that says it requires three ladies and I look at my discard pile and all my ladies are in my discard pile. 
and and that's where the whole plan better comes in, right? And that's one of the so and, and, well, not uh, on a serious note though. That's exactly what I'm talking about as mm. far as that mid-level planning. You need to make sure that okay, I have already played these cards, so I'm going to have to you know pass essentially, yeah. and be able to redraw these cards back into my hand so that I have them available for when it is that I want to actually play that activity, that tile that will allow me to do these things. Mm. And it's, there's enough here and enough brain burning going on that I think there's a significant amount of planning in this game, even with the reasonably copious amount of randomness that mm. there is. In I think session. you're right. And so you're right with that kind of mid term strategic planning. Cause you know, we're not talking antiquity or food chain magnate. You're done on your first turn. If you do it wrong type thing, right. absolutely, absolutely not. But you can be on the back foot for a few turns. If, if you've, if you've gone down a, a cul-de-sac where you're like, where you're like, <laughs> oh no, I've just thrown all my good cards in the discard pile. I don't have any building I can use. Uh, and, or at least not one that you want to use. Precisely. Right. I'm, you know, otherwise I'm just playing billiards over and over and over again. Right? I mean, I'm um, all for it. I mean, I, lo just, I love shooting pool, but you know, yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. This is great. But, and or, or your staff are just not available. You know, this, the, 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 when I was playing Obsession quite a lot towards the end of last year, uh, I was also playing. Uh, I was also playing Anachrony a lot. Uh, I don't know if you played Anachrony, uh, but it actually uses a very similar mechanism. That as as does Barrage actually. That idea of here's some resources you're going to use them, and then you're going to get them back in X number of turns. Right. So you, you need to plan for yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. So whereas something like barrages well you might not get these back for three or four turns um anachrony and this as well you've got a maximum you're missing one turn without the people you've just used right because they 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 get used then they move to uh they move to a middle spot and then the next turn they come back into your kind of available servants quarters or whatever they're called but oh does it hurt when they're not available and you need them <laughs> and even when you buy a new member of staff eh, you can't use them yet nope they have to be acclimated to the, they, uh, they the new estate. So yeah, so so there's, needless to say, quite a bit of planning in mm. this game. Mm. Moving on to the uh, luck and random factors. So, as I mentioned, there's a fair bit here. Start off with the fickle wants of the Fairchilds. <laughs> right, so you're you're wooing the Fairchilds at the end of a given season, and their wants are going to be randomly determined, and you're not going to know those necessarily at the beginning. You're going to know those as the game progresses, and so if you're, you know, buying or 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 building a t an estate with a bunch of those purple prestige tiles, and it just might be that they have no interest in prestige at all. And you're like, really? Really? Come on, man. Who's, who's not interested in prestige? Come on. Seriously, are we not aristocrats here? Come on. So, so that is one big factor of the randomness. Then there's the random draw of the guests 
right, uh, of the gentry. They could either be prestige guests or, or just the, the regular nobility, or not nobility, the, you know, the average Joes. Uh, well, average in quotes, but you understand. So when you're drawing those, it's a random draw. You might be able to, hey, draw two, keep one, that type of thing. But there's no open tableau. There's no open market for the guests. The guests are the guests of the guests. And it's, they're sizable decks. So you really have no way of knowing, are they going to be, you know, a an American heiress that is wonderful to help you with money, but then it becomes a prestige question like, ooh, no, you're gallivanting with an American. We can't have that. And that will hurt, uh, you know, your, your, your reputation. So it's, or, or is it going to be, what, what is it? It starts with a C. Is it a cur? What is it that they call the, the, the a guys? Cat. A CAD. A that's CAD. It. A bounder. Yeah. Yes. A CAD. <laughs> so you don't know. So you got the randomness of the draw of the, uh, of the guests. And then the big one, right? Well, the, I would argue there's two more big ones. There's the tile draw, right? Mm -hmm. Like what, what, what rooms are going to be available? And in conjunction with that, you're going to have objectives or in-game goals. And some of those objectives are going to be tied to very specific sets of rooms. And it is very possible that those rooms are never even in your game. They have the potential to be in your game because there's a bag full of tiles. But it just could be that those never get drawn. So you have a fair bit of randomness here. And these endgame objectives... You might be waiting on a tile that just never shows up. So you have to know that coming in. And I do think that there's a fair bit of ways to mitigate a lot of this. But there is a fair bit of randomness. No, you're, not, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I guess I can talk about the ways that you can mitigate that randomness. Um, because I agree, there's, there's a lot of, yeah, draw off the top of the deck and or, you know, put your hand in the bag and see what building comes out, that kind of thing. Uh, the, thing with the, the thing with the objectives is you're, obviously, everyone gets dealt uh, a kind of endgame objective, a, a bunch of endgame objectives at the beginning. And you do have the ability to kind of, as the game goes on and you perhaps discover that there's no way that you're going to complete these objectives, you have the ability to kind of discard them and draw new ones. Of course, you're still drawing new ones. They they could be equally as useless, but they're just not, <laughs> right. hopefully not going to. So you know you have an objective that demands that the you get the cabinet of curiosities, which is my favorite tile in the game, the <laughs> lovely cabinet of curiosities, and you and yeah, it just never comes out in the market. There's no way to seed the market. The market is tiles. It's not a deck of cards where you know you're putting you're you're splitting it in five or and you know you're not seeding it the way you would do with some mark you know packs games where you put particular cards in particular parts of the deck. Um, it's a purely random market. You have the ability. Uh, as an action in the game to completely wipe the market clean and deal out another uh, set of tiles. And I'd argue as the game goes on, sometimes that is absolutely necessary because you're searching for this tile that will complete your collection or whatever. But you're right, still a random draw. Still, you know, six random tiles that come out and they might come out in a particular order that means that the right tiles come out, but you can't afford it. 
because of the you know the order that they're put into the market. So you this is the game's way of trying to mitigate that luck. Um, the guests themselves, you have that draw two, take one uh, action, which is kind of available on some of the cards that you can play. They enable you to draw a guest and you know, draw two guests because there's n- literally nothing worse than drawing an American at all, right? <laughs> you draw an American and it gives you money, but it inevitably kills your reputation somehow. And they're all gossips. And I think I looked through the whole deck and every single American has a penalty next to it. Yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> they do I'm it, pretty right? sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that you know that. I guess if you're playing like four player, you're more likely to get through that deck because when you draw two cards, the other one goes to the bottom of the deck. There's no discard pile, so some of those folk can kind of come out again. Um, but it is a way to kind of, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? To kind of like scan the top two cards of the deck. I've used to play a lot of card games, and I've completely forgotten what the word is to. Ah, oh, never mind. Um, so yeah, there's there's ways to help with the the randomness with the cards, uh, and go for it. And to circle back real quick before we get uh, too far onto past the tiles, one other thing that these and I should caveat that we're mostly talking about the second edition of the game, and we'll talk about probably some differences between the first edition and second edition. Let's be honest, the second edition across the board is the edition that you're going to want to pick up. Absolutely. The first edition is perfectly playable. It's fine. It's, but the second edition does make some changes that help with this. And one of those things is at certain points in the game, some of the random tile draws, when they get drawn, they automatically don't become part of the market. They just go into a stack that just helps the market churn through a little bit quicker and so that you're able to see more tiles than you would in the original uh, design of the game. And that is another built-in way in which the game helps mitigate that random draw of, uh, of you know, oh, I'm waiting for the, you know, cabinet of curiosities. Well, you're going to see more tiles than you would have in the first edition. So just figure I'd chime in with that no, as well. No, absolutely. absolutely. I, pl- I did play the first edition before uh before playing the second edition as well and you're right it's significant it does get through the market much quicker uh and you have the ability kind of as those particular time points in the game happen where you can kind of pick up cheap uh cheap tiles in the market and put them on a pile means every time you go to the market you can just pick up that pile and kind of go through it from top to bottom and kind of go i'll have that and i'll have you know i'll have that you can only usually buy one but on a builder's holiday, you can buy much more. So, oh boy, can you? <laughs> on the builder's holiday, and you know you gear up for the builder's but holiday it, turn. But even so, you're still not going through the entire bag of tiles. There's just too no, many not tiles. at all. So I keep mean, that might, in mind. Um, it might be skipping ahead slightly, but one of the things that the game does do, and it's buried deep in the glossary for anyone that's just skim read the the rulebook, is uh, Dan gives a number of different variants uh, to the way to play this. And most of those variants mess about with the randomness element in the game. Yep. And uh, we'll, we'll actually go over that in detail later on uh, because yeah, sure. I wanted to highlight it because here we are emphasizing how much, you know, randomness there is in these different uh, iterations or different uh, mechanisms here in the game. But there are ways to either mechanically mitigate it. If you just don't like that aspect, you can take it out. 
um, or change it, whatever it is. Uh, but also in, in just the way, uh, you plan around them and the way you can actually play the game to mitigate it somewhat as well. And, and so I think, I think that can be both a benefit and a bit of a curse, but we'll talk about that more here in a little bit. So moving on then, the uh, the fourth factor, uh, the game length. Um, so it says 30 to 90 minutes. What do you think? Are they Seems ever ambitious. right? Are they ever correct? You know, I mean, there's only I, a couple. Yeah, I, I, mm, maybe Dan can play it in 30 to 90 minutes, hmm. right? Hmm. But yeah, no, uh, even the solo game for me, I, it's not. But then again, I'm not in a rush. I'm not, I'm okay with that. And I don't necessarily feel like the game ever overstays its welcome. I don't, I'm not sitting there just, uh, will you hurry up? Now, like most games, it has the potential for AP, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the game plays in an appropriate amount of time for what the game provides. But I think you're looking at, you know, an easy two hour experience for multiplayer and i would argue for solo but i take my time when i play solo yeah uh, yeah i think you're, i think you're right i'd give it two hours for for a three or a four I mean, it it does it does move along pretty briskly but again player specific like these times are always player specific to different people with different levels of ap because AP is definitely, as we've already kind of touched on, the level of kind of midterm planning you need. AP is definitely a thing with this. Uh, I mean, it is a game, and I, I'll touch on this a little bit later, it's a game with minimal player interaction. And because it's a game that where you place your workers but isn't actually a worker placement game, there isn't actually much that an opponent can do to make your turn go much longer. It's not like a like you know a standard worker placement game where you're waiting for your go and you know exactly what you're going to do, providing the person before you doesn't do that thing. Oh no, the why did you go thing. to that spot? So you've done that thing, so you know it's going to take me another ten minutes to figure out what I'm going to do next, and that's your fault, right? <laughs> <laughs> In general, if you know what you're doing, uh, provide you know unless you're absolutely hedging all your bets and buying that one single tile on the market that might have gone by the time it comes around to you that's one of the only real things that's going to kind of interrupt your planning so by the time it comes around to you you should you know you're you're usually right it's my goal cool these cards this thing this will do that this will do that grant and you only take that one uh, you only do that one activity in your round. You do one thing and then you move on. The next player does a thing and you go around the table all doing one thing at a time. It's not a it's not a game where, okay, you've got five actions to take, you do your entire turn and then move on. So it does skip around the table relatively quickly in that in in, in that respect. So Yeah, not a the, lot of downtime. I agree with that. Provided people are paying attention to what it is and planning out their turns when it's not their turn. And for better or for worse. You know, like you said, there's not a lot of major impact that one another is going to have. So if you're being a, like the market and stuff yeah. like that. So if you're being a good, conscientious board game player, you're as soon as you finish your goal, you're planning your next turn, right? Most of the time. Or if you're not, then you're on your phone. But 
Either way, you should you, you've got a rough idea of what you're doing because your your tableau's increased and and you're you've got your hand of cards or whatever. Or of course, it could come around to your go and you pass. And there's a whole passing mechanism which involves you uh, a number being, of steps. It's not and, just yeah. okay. I'm done. Next yeah. player. No, no. There's a number of steps that are going to happen. Passing is a very strategic kind of necessity because it gets you your cards back from your discard pile in a kind of Concordia way. You know, yep. you get and all it your refreshes good, all your all your servants and yep. all of that. Yep. And uh, you have the option, and you have you have options in passing, which is I always find quite interesting that not everyone will pass in the same way. You have a little flowchart that tells you your options in passing, and some of them are the same every single time but then it gets to a point where you can kind of go well actually maybe at this part i'll actually hire some servants or maybe i'll buy something from the from the market here so that there's there's some different ways uh there's different ways to pass which i find quite interesting in itself so it's yeah not just, I, I, just that sentence just that sentence right there <laughs> is kind of compelling right there's different yeah. ways to pass yeah is it pass? Is it passe? Is it no, no? Uh, but seriously, no. I I, I agree wholeheartedly. I I love the fact that anytime there's more decisions to make, I, I think that's a benefit to the players, mm. and I agree with you. Especially um, in a passing, especially on a passing turn, when it comes around to you, you've used all your guys, your cards are rubbish. You've still got strategic decisions to make in your passing turn. You're not just going, I'm passing, you can carry on, and then pointing to the next player to carry on. You are genuinely going, okay, I'm passing. So I'm going to do this when I pass, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take this in my passing turn because it's going to help me in my, in my next turn. And that will be of interest to other players rather than just kind of immediately cracking on with the turn. Right. So, so yeah, it's, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty snappy, I think. I, I think so. There's not a lot of downtime between turns, and it... I, I, like I said, I've never felt that the game overstays its welcome, so I, I don't know that the game length contributes to the weight, but it doesn't detract from it one way or the other. Finally, the last factor is the getting it factor, which we kind of have alluded to a little bit here or there. Um, yeah, what do you think? Well, there's, I quite like the getting it part of it because the getting it uh, factor in this that gives a game its weight is, is certainly as far as I'm concerned, different to the kind of, okay, I know the rules now. Okay, I know the rules. I know I've got to plan. There's the actual... You know, the moment in any game, the first time you play it, where you go, ah, okay, okay, I see where the teeth are in this game. I see, I see the route that I need to go down, or I want to go down, or or oh, should have gone down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Either, either I should have, or when presented with a number of routes, where you can sit and go, oh, this could be interesting if I took this route this time. You know, that element of understanding how understanding what you might want to do next turn understanding what you do do this turn and the implications for you and the implications for everyone else around the table i think and i think well this this is this is going to kind of recur again and again i think from, from now on i think what helps you get it is the theme the oh theme absolutely of, the theme of this game is so strong and so intertwined in everything you do uh, that 
you practically start role-playing when playing this game, unless, you know, you're playing with people that are, you know, min-maxers that have no no interest in that. But it's so difficult to not... It's so difficult to play this game and not be kind of intrigued of every every uh, guest that you draw and you know read the flavor text and kind of go oh okay so that's going to give me these bonuses oh i can see why because they're very rich and they've just come and you know they've been doing this overseas and this is where the money comes from okay that's great um or buying a new member of staff and kind of going oh excellent it's good to have more valets isn't it it's always good to have, there's my little three valets and looking at them <laughs> on the table and going oh, i've got my little valets so the mud th- as opposed to a lot of drier euros where you're pushing cubes and you're putting cubes on a map and you're shifting things about and the abstract kind of element of, well, I know what everything represents and so that's what's going to... The, the, the quicker it takes me to understand what all these things represent, the quicker I'll get into it. You get this from the start. The first time you put your servants on a card and go, these people are going for tea. In order to go to tea, they require a butler. They require, of course, they require two ladies to go to tea. So the theme almost instructs you to play it because you think of it in your head and go, well, if, I mean, of course, we need ladies to go to tea. This is the garden that they're having tea in. And obviously they need a butler there. So have I got all those things? I do now. Then we're going to tea, All ladies. right, then we're going to tea. <laughs> yeah, all exactly. right. So, um, so yeah. No, I nailed it. I think you wrapped it up. There, there, there are few, if any, games that I think the theme informs the mechanisms more clearly and more definitively than this does. And like you said, I think that theme actually helps with the getting it factor. Uh, but there is, like we alluded to earlier and, and said earlier, that there is much more mid-level planning than you would probably expect there to be with given the amount of randomness so for the getting it it's going to take you uh, you know a couple turns now mechanically maybe not but the implications of why and everything i think are going to take you a while to where i would say your first game enjoy it second game now maybe you're going to go in and be you know more competitive type thing and you will enjoy it. And that's the thing. Like your first game, you will throw servants at, at, at actions and throw cards at them and kind of go, oh, well, isn't that lovely that they're going and sitting in the conservatory and now they're playing croquet in the lawn and this is great. Oh, you've won by 30 points? Oh, <laughs> right. Oh, well, it looks like I didn't realize there had to be strategy in the amount of the, the kinds of activities that I had to do. And then you kind of wind it back and kind of go, right, this is a better activity to do now because I'm going to do this this next turn. So as a as a game that can bring maybe people into the hobby uh, that have maybe not played anything of that complexity, um, this is perfect because of the theme. I mean, it's a, it's as you say, it's it's such a good example of the theme ex- instructing the mechanics. And even if you've never, we've all used these mechanics before in countless other games. We've all played our Great Western Trails and our Dominions, and we've all played our you know any countless number of resource games or countless number of tableau builders. These are all mechanics we've uh, mechanisms we've used before, but. Tying these into this theme felt just as a stroke of genius, where you're thinking, instead of I need to build 
this hut with this amount of straw and wood. No, now I need to play billiards with three gentlemen and two valets. You know, like, that's genius. That's absolute genius. I think it's. I think. I think it's just helps you get it. As and again, as you say, as to whether it helps you win. Well, that's a different matter entirely. So overall, where would you put this uh, weight-wise? I, I I think it falls, you know, solid midweight. But that kind of it's it's really funny that that we're recording this right now because we we have a running joke on the show, right? What level, uh, re, you know, using Rococo as your quintessential midweight euro? And I have the new version of Rococo set up here on the table, getting ready for the stream in a couple of days. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, and I, I look, and I also have obsession right here on, on the table with me as well. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like there's more going on in obsession than there is in Rococo. So yeah, if Rococo yeah. is the baseline for midweight, I guess it's a little bit heavier than a midweight, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's kind of Rococo plus one, right? Uh, it, it's kind of, you know, well, I find it interesting that, that, that it's both games that involve a lot of very posh, very rich people having a lovely time. It does. Is that what instructs a midweight game these days? Is that what, is that what it is? <laughs> so. You need to put some upper class gentry in your game just to kind of make it round about midway. Um, but you're, you're right. No, that if you if you do a direct comparison with Rococo, it's definitely got the edge on that when it comes to planning. Uh, Agreed. Um, but but not significantly, not so much so that anyone anyone whose ceiling of playing games is Rococo shouldn't give it a shot. I think this would be an, you know, if someone's really enjoyed a game of Rococo, and I love the fact we're still, still to this day using Rococo as the, as, <laughs> no, right? you know, you know, and I can see it on the shelf behind you as well. And it's, you know, it, it is, it's just, I was thinking about it before you even brought it up. Uh, so if we, if we're still using that kind of mid- uh, that that midweight, I and anyone that that is the heaviest game they've ever played, I would push a session in front of them and go, okay, this is your next step, and I think you'll still be in your comfort zone while playing it. So not to mention the theme. And I actually was uh, reading, I believe it, I I read all the comments on BGG, not maybe not all of them, but most of them, getting ready for a review, and somebody had said they had some complete. Uh, non-gamers like have never played a modern board game but they love the idea of the theme and they were perfectly able to play this so yeah so i i, I think i think this fits in mid plus a little bit uh mm. for a euro yeah i think so So moving on to uh, components, graphic design, artwork, that stuff. Uh, components here. Um, well done, I would say, right? <laughs> I mean, across the board. I mean, everything from the tiles that I, 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 I'm, it's hyperbole, but could stop a bullet. Like they are super thick. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's really high end production I quality on this. Yeah. I feel that Dan's probably played so much carcassonne in his life that he's sick of 
that he he got to the point where he thought where he thought I'm going to design my own board game, and when I do, I don't want my tiles to start falling apart after a couple of years. So I'm going to make these about you know half an inch thick, so that so that even if you rummage around in that bag for as long as you like, uh, they're you know they're nothing's going to happen to them. They are solid. Yep all all the all the cardboard is super thick on it. Uh, tons of custom meeples that are remind you of exactly what the servants are. Yeah. Butler looks like a butler. The lady in waiting. I don't know exactly what a lady in waiting exactly is, but I could picture it being, you know, looking like they do. The valets, et cetera, et cetera. I, yeah, I, they're all color coded to their job, but they're custom shapes, which that's always nice. And the, the, one of the biggest complaint component wise in the first edition was they had these choking hazard cards. <laughs> um, I mean, they're probably an inch and a half by an inch, uh, for victory points, as well as for the, uh, for the Fairchild desire scoring category cards. And in the new edition, the second edition, they made them normal size. They're not like playing card size, but they're, they're like, they're fine. In, standard, in, in the, standard Euro mini size. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. And so that was a huge, huge upgrade that they did, in my opinion. And then uh, one other nice little thing that I actually saw some people complaining about was the country estate board uh, can be separated, which allows you actually, depending on the how your table, like, is it a round table that you play on? Is it a coffee table? Is it your typical board gaming table? Whatever. It allows for a little bit of fit flexibility with that to where, oh, I can't have this really long, you know, uh, very tall tableau. I need it to be wider than tall. And it gives you some flexibility in that. I thought that was a nice touch. Or you can flip your player board over to where it's actually included in your player board to where now you can just have that one tall tableau, however it is that works for you. I've never really understood why anyone would complain about flexibility or accessibility with board game components. You know, it, it's the option is there, so why make a thing of it? I think it's great. You know, he had some, uh, he had the ability to do it, so so did you know? And um, even on a relatively decent sized table, uh, it's worth mentioning. You know, obsession can eat up your table; it really can. Yeah. Uh, and like I'm sitting, staring at kind of my table at the moment, and remembering that even in a two player, we were playing kind of head to head across a three foot table. We were, you know butting heads kind of in the middle as we were building our tableaus and they were getting further and further down and so the option to kind of remove that inch and a half of cardboard is you know even just that amount is 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 excellent so uh, yeah. agreed so overall i i i think the components are fantastic the components are are excellent and and again there's there's i've kind of mentioned already the idea of if this is if this was one of the if this was a game that you were introducing, like, you know, a slightly heavier game to perhaps non-board gamers or whatever, they'd just be delighted at the look of it. They'd just be, as opposed to say, oh, come round and we'll have a game of Concordia or whatever, and them kind of not really been able to kind of parse what's going on. Or, um, But yeah, everything about it is accessible and it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, uh, well done on that. As far as the box size, it's 11.7 by 11.7 square, three inches thick, or basically 30 by 30 by seven and a half centimeters. 
And when you factor in second edition and the two expansions, the upstairs, downstairs, and the Wessex expansion and any other promo tiles, it is chock full and it weighs a lot. It's mm. it's sizable. It is it is significant. It's uh yeah, it's a it's a beast kind of in depth wise. And I have to give some credit to Dan as well that for the second edition, uh, as he factored in all the expansions and all the extra elements that were going to be brought to the game, how everything fits in the box is just, mm, it's just chef's kiss. It's just beautiful. It These really things. is well done. The one gripe that I have is Uh-oh. he made a video on how to, how he separates everything and how everything fits, but there's no instruction on that in the box. <laughs> I do no, wish I, I do wish there was something there um, mm-hmm. because even the inserts in the box and everything, the way it's, it's separated with the second edition. Fantastic. Really, really mm-hmm. well done. But yeah, give me a little bit of instruction, but I actually went and watched the video and that made it a whole lot easier. Yeah, me too. Me too. And it's not, it's not complicated. It's just everything fits in without the need to make a kind of tacky plastic insert for it. He's just kind of gone, here are the pieces this is the way they fit and this is how they maximize the amount of space that's already in the box. Yep. And, uh, and oh, yeah. you're playing this family here. You get this box, which is that uh, family has the family crest. that's thick box and yep. it has all the player pieces in it, which is really nice. Absolutely. As far as graphic design, what do you think? I mean, it's, it's, I'm kind of, you know, I sound like a stock record at this point. I think it looks, it looks incredible. Uh, artwork and uh the the way the the way the the components in the box and, and and the like put together but what really what kind of makes it are how clear everything is uh, to play now with some of these games with historical themes one of the things i find that designers can get a little bit too uh um too kind of into is fancy old fonts and make some intricate uh, board layouts to 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 show off all the research that they've done. Um, so you look at it and go, well, isn't this historically accurate? But that doesn't necessarily make for an easy game to play and an easy uh, an easy board state to understand. And there arguably is some very, very curly writing on some of these cards, which... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Wait, what's their name? But yeah. at least yeah. with that stuff, it's flavor text. It's not yeah. key uh, component Y or uh, key yeah. information uh, to be able to... to it's... it's, it's uh, oh, God. Uh, form, uh, it's form over function. When it comes to flavor text, but not when it comes to actual functionality of being able to play the game. And sure, and people people will have different capabilities of being able to understand extremely dense cursive text, right? Um, Sometimes I find myself picking up a card and kind of having to go, okay, so that's Elizabeth, that's Fairchild, right? Okay, but (laughs) fundamentally, right? Fundamentally, the names don't matter to the function of the game, so it's fine to kind of to develop the graphic design in those kind of flavorful areas. But 
the main game text on all of these cards is really clear, so that's yep. fine. Agreed. And all the icon, all the icons are really clear, and, and the icons are in the uh, firmly in the corner of each card. So when you've got your hand of cards, you can clearly see what it is, where your bonuses are, what your um, what your service is going to be required for for each thing, and it follows through to to the. Um, the buildings that you're putting into your tableau. Um, there isn't much of a common board in this game. It's really just a track, just a kind of action track, uh, and everything's very clear on that. So, so yeah, yeah, spot on. Agreed. And talking about the artwork, um, I like the family crests, right? It's <laughs> a simple thing that are on the player boards and the, and the player boxes, if you will. Uh, but I appreciate it. And the those main boards that you talked about that are essentially tracks, it, it evokes the theme. It doesn't feel like there. There's really not a lot of artwork in the game outside of the 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 artwork that's on the cards, right? No, that's very true. I mean the 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 most significant artwork, I guess, if you want to call it that, most significant kind of kind of picture images in the game are the public domain photographs that they've used to kind of illustrate every single individual guest, and that you know there are loads of these, and and they just add so much to it. They're they're so incredibly flavorful because uh, I found myself. Well, I mean, you do you you draw two cards off the top of the deck. You look at them both. They're functionally identical. You take the one that looks most interesting, right? <laughs> you take you take the guy with the fanciest mustache, or you take the woman with the nicest hat. <laughs> so you go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take that. I need a lady, and uh, I've got two ladies here, but this one's hat is phenomenal, so we'll have that. Um, but but you're right because the the buildings themselves regularly the majority of the buildings the squares that go into your tableau don't have images on them they simply have numbers and um aside from the monuments that come later on in the game that have a little piece of a little bit of artwork and as we said the main board is simply a kind of round track with a big picture of the stately home in the middle of it so the flavor and the the flavor of the images is really what's in your hand and again, that lends itself to the mechanisms of you kind of introducing these people to the table. Uh, so, um, so, so yeah, it's not got it, it, it's not a game that needs a significant amount of artwork, but where it does have it, it counts. Moving on to the uh, the rule book. Um, yeah, you want you want you want to go first before I get well books. So we've got. We've got two books. We've got the what I like to call the old FFG style of well, here's a book to get you started, and here's a book once you've played it once. Um, and it, admittedly, it's actually not quite as um, cut and dried as that. the The rule book does tell you the the big square, sixteen page rule book does tell you ninety nine percent of the things that you need to 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 play the game. Uh, I would argue it probably doesn't take sixteen pages to do that, and the rule book feels a little bit flabby. Yeah, I, uh, I I don't think there's arguing in this yeah. case. There, yes, it's 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 very interesting to read, but uh, but again, the glossary that they've put in there to explain every every single nitty gritty piece of the game um, is is where that stuff should go. Um, I feel you could probably put less into the original rulebook and actually put more to shift more of that to the glossary. But at the same time, there are some, and this is a, this is a pretty big deal in some cases. There's some rules that are buried in the glossary, some really kind of quite integral rules that are buried in the glossary that you have to seek out. Uh, they, 
were there a third edition to this game, they need to be kind of brought forward and some of the other stuff perhaps needs to be, needs to be pushed back. I think it's a wonderful game overall. I, th- I, I think people are going to get that from the review in general. However, this is definitely one of those instances where you can tell that the designer of the game also was the writer of the rule book. Sure. And that is, that is job security for me, is what that is. And while I appreciate the amount of theme and the amount of historical stuff and everything that's here in the rule book, I think overall the rule book is bad as a general rule. And the fact that that, that one point that you just brought up, the fact that there are instrumental things in the glossary that should be in the rule book, that's a big no-no. And you're now actively impeding people's ability to enjoy your game. So this is where getting rules book editors, there's a reason that's a thing. And yeah, it's, is it, are you able to learn the game from the rule book? Yes. In the glossary and everything. But again, the glossary is 28 pages. The rule book is what, what did we say? 16. So yeah, it, it's, it's not strong. And I definitely think it, like you said, if there is a third edition, I would hope that Dan reaches out to a technical writer that can, that can do a little bit better with, uh, making things clear for everybody. But overall, that's fine. I mean, I guess just, yeah, it, 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 you can tell that this game was an absolute labor of love in all aspects of the game, but uh, it's, it's verbose and, and not concise where, where it should be. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's a, you you hit the nail on the head. It's a labor of love and that shows in the rule book. Absolutely shows in the rule book. That should show in the glossary. Yeah. Rather than the rule book. Right. right? Exactly. Tell us, tell us all about how much you, you know, how much of a labor of love this game is in your glossary, but in the rule book, uh, this game has a thing in the rule book that I, don't know if I've ever seen in any other uh, rulebook. And it maybe does exist, but it doesn't quite exist in this form. On page six of the rulebook, right, not in the glossary, not in the strategy guide or anything like that, there is a pie chart of VP distribution, <laughs> which is feels to me like the kind of thing that I would expect at the back of a splatter or an 18XX. I was going right? to say a Hollenspiel or a yeah. splatter game. And exactly, yeah. yes. This is how to win this game. Now, when you when you see it on its own, it's really jarring. Now, when you but when you read the thing from start to finish, there's a perfect, it's perfectly understandable kind of why it's there because it's trying to indicate, well, look, you can concentrate on this part of the part of the game and the courtship and stuff, but perhaps there are more VPs in different places. Right. Now, there's a whole page on that. I don't think the rulebook needed, the main rulebook needed that. I also don't think the main rulebook needs a whole page on the thematic background of favours on the very back. And that's another thing that probably could have gone into the glossary. So, you know, I'm looking at this rulebook thinking 12 pages, not 16. But but, but again, a labour of love, right? Yes, 100%. And you know what? Stan's first game. and Yeah, exactly. That's all right. It's it it doesn't it doesn't harm the game, um, and it, and this is this you know when it comes to criticism in the rulebook sometimes I always feel that we're folk like us are coming from this kind of slightly highfalutin kind of oh look we've played hundreds of games and we've read so many rulebooks and this just doesn't stand up to the best of them. It's 
his first game, it's an absolutely beautiful thing that merits beautiful documentation to go with it, right? Just it maybe in different places. And it does yes. have that. It just, maybe the balance could be shifted for, again, for accessibility's sake. That is a perfect, perfect way to sum that up. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> All right. As far as setup, teardown, teaching, learning. Um, oh, okay. There are a lot of, now, when you have everything, meaning you have, let's just call it second edition, you have the Wessex expansion, you have the promo tiles, you have the other expansion. It's a lot to manage. And then at the end of a game, okay, wait, these are your starter tiles. Those need to go. It can get a little unwieldy and it's not a super smooth process for setting up and tearing down. Um, I'm not saying it's not worth it. I'm just saying it's not fast. 100%. Um, the whole getting the starting set of tiles out of the bag and having to order them in a particular way, uh, depending on the numbers that are on the tile, which is, again, the numbers on the tiles are there to ease the setup. But the fact that you need the numbers on the tiles to enable the ease of the setup in the first place is a kind of, you know, it takes a little bit more time than, than perhaps you'd expect. And it does eat up your table, this thing. It really does. Uh, with four players, it will easily, easily take up, you know, a whole you know, big gaming table. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of pieces. Um, as, as I said, there's no real middle board to it, aside from a kind of round tracker, which you can kind of put to the side, I can I guess. Um, and there's a lot of different decks of cards of different sizes and shapes. I never had a problem with the small VP cards. Never had a problem with them at all. I, I thought it was yeah. a I thought it was a nice like thing that I hadn't seen in other games. No, they're actually. way too small. No, <laughs> the ones in the first edition are way too small. And and, and Dan Dan knows it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm with you, Dan. They were fine, right? but but again, with the second edition, you have the option, right? You, know? you, you were like, you... look, I just put them in a bag, yeah. <laughs> kept them, and I'm like, this is a bag I never have to open. Yeah. Okay. So the setup the setup isn't difficult. It isn't you know, laborious. It's just a little bit on the fiddlier side of when it comes to some of these. Agreed. Games. And you, you, you were, uh, I, I am not able to teach this game in like 15, 20 minutes. Cause I, when I teach, I tend to teach the entire Kaboodle. <laughs> so how do you go about doing that? Oh, I just, I, I think it's really, and again, the theme kind of helps with this. I think it's really straightforward to get, to get started in this game without worrying about, and again, this is a different way to, for example, the way that, the, the way that you would teach a game, um, uh, be that on stream or, 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 or whatever. But if you're teaching, if, if I was sitting here, for example, with three people that had never played this game, then I'm not going to concern myself with strategy pie charts, right? Sure, <laughs> but sure. I'm, <laughs> but I'm going to tell people around the table, um, okay, these are your guests. And in order to do this is, you know, the, the, as I said, the, the theme of the game um, informs the mechanics. So you're going to put rooms out that you're going to do things in. And in order to do things, you need people to do those things. And you need servants to help you do those things. And you're going to do one of those things around. Uh, and the game is in figuring out what people you want to attend and who's, which of your servants are going to help them so that when you come around to do it again, who, you know, who have you got left to do the next one? And there's going to be a continual rotating circle of this kind of thing. I just think you can get it up and running in 10, 15 minutes and you, you can play a sample round of this really, really quickly because people, you know, even people that haven't uh, played games to this complexity can at least go, okay, so 
I've got two guys here, two members of my family. I would like to take them for tea here. Can I do that? And you go, yeah, well, look, what does it need? There's all the iconography. It's really straightforward. Dun, 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 dun. There's your stuff. Now collect all your bonuses. You get some money and you get some reputation. You're done. And they go, oh, cool. I better plan what happens next. There right? you go. So it, it, it just, it's just, it's, it, you can do a short kind of slick, uh, right, let's just get into a couple of rounds of this and then we can stop and go, right. Now, what do the Fairchilds want? What do your objectives say? All of the next level strategy stuff. So yeah, teaching really straightforward for this, I think. I think it's pretty clear that you and I enjoy the game of oh yeah such. that uh, but what makes it enjoyable and why? I'll be honest, we've kind of covered a lot of it, haven't we? I mean, you can't you can't help you can't not really as you kind of talk about the nitty gritty of this game because um, there's such a, there's a lot of joy to be had in it. I think so, and, but you know. We, we right before we uh, we took a little break. You were talking about uh, something that you hadn't seen in other games. Whatever. Uh, there's one part of this game which just it's the thing that you do at the end of your turn, and I've not really seen it in any other games, and it inevitably is in another game. But it's so tied into the theme uh, of this game that it's just it's just perfect. And whenever you draw, whenever you add a card to your hand uh you've looked at however many cards and you've chosen one and you add it to your hand and your opponents will do the same thing now normally in any other card game no one gets to see that card till you play it not so in 19th century derbyshire society there as the rule book points out numerous times it's the same little bit of text there are no secrets in derbyshire society so when you add a card to your hand because all the cards are guests and they are members of the upper class, you have to introduce them to the table. It's just, oh, it's just, it's the perfect little kind of concentrated part of the theme where you decide which card you have. And like I was saying earlier on, you know, you, you draw two cards, they're functionally identical, but you pick the guy with the, with the best beard or the guy with the best backstory that's on the card. And then you put it on the table and go... Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Viscount Peter Townsend, or whatever his name is. Um, he has recently come back from a trip to Antarctica or whatever. He gives me a bonus of £200 when I play him, and he increases my reputation by two. And everyone around the table should go, oh, very oh, good. Welcome, it's a pleasure welcome, to see him. Welcome, Viscount. Yes. Yes. And if you're if you, if the other players at the table are have their strategy heads on, they're like, oh, I know he's got a two plus two hundred. He's got money in his hand now, right? Great. No one's going to care about that. But they're like, oh, Peter Townsend's in the game. And then when anyone draws a card, sometimes because they're Plays so the not used to that, yeah, they're so not used to that. And again, they'll draw a card, put it in their hand, and they'll move on. And people will go, <clears throat> I think you've forgotten something. <laughs> Could you please introduce your new guest? Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Anyway, here is Major Anthony Cole. <laughs> you go, oh, it's a pleasure. I just, oh, I love it. It's my favourite part of the game. Uh, and 
yeah, strategically, you're, you should be taking note of all the things that people have in their hand or, oh, no, you've drawn an American. Oh, you're going to have to play that at some point and that's going to hurt your reputation. Uh, but that's going to have a lot of money on it. Okay. But no, you're just intrigued that there's a gossip in the game now. <laughs> I just think it's great. It's absolutely, it's absolutely That's smart. awesome. Well, I mean, okay. Uh, and, and I think as somebody who has said that uh, always that mechanisms trump theme, this is about as good of a yeah. uh, interweaving of theme and mechanics that can be. And yeah. I, I, I'm sure there are other games that have done it as well. I, I have no doubt. But you're looking at, again, I have Rococo here on the table. Uh, no, that does not interweave <laughs> the theme with the mechanisms anywhere near the level that a game like Obsession does. And I think that's when when you have those two things that are just so intertwined it's just it's a thing of beauty it's art it really is art and i think that's just man that's that's really the high point of what this can be right it's it's such an achievement like i can't i think dan must have been must have been thinking my god no one's ever done this no one's no one's thought of making staff resources they must have done no one's thought of making uh activities part of your tableau no one's thought of making your guests the cards in your hand that will give you money and rip that that is you're using what are very normally very dry euro mechanisms you know euros can be dry as dry as anything and be you know beige as uh another leave arc right them. alone yeah yeah exactly this, these things can be the beigest things ever this is the this proves that that doesn't have to be the case and that you can tie the two together uh, in such a way that not only does it make the game easy to learn, it makes it easier to play and it makes it easier to, to get and makes, it makes the whole game, makes the whole time at the table much more entertaining in itself. Totally agree. And the funny thing is, is I'm going through my list of, of things that I have here and I'm like, well, we've talked about that, we've talked about that, we've talked about that. <laughs> but uh, the one thing that we haven't really touched on a lot yet, and I realize you haven't been able to experience yet, is oh, yeah. the solo game in mm. this. First off, there are a plethora of AI opponents to choose from, which it basically breaks down into three different difficulties. There's easy, there's medium, there's hard. and I, I know there's double digits. I don't remember how many, but there are double digit AIs that you can the that you can choose from in your game. You play uh what your you pick a family and you're up against one family as well. And the fact that running the AI is butter smooth and super simple. Super simple, but makes it, it it's still a pretty big challenge it takes uh tiles from the builder's market so you can't definitive just like how you couldn't plan for when other players oh i know that tile's going to be there because i'm playing solo no no the game might be able to take that tile uh so you better plan accordingly and on top of that you know how they are going to score for the different types of tiles and, but you still don't necessarily know what's going to be the important ones for the Fairchilds. 
what's going to be the scoring uh, the scoring tiles uh, for a given season, and that's where those variants come in. To where I mean, I'm looking in the playbook now, and the variations. There are four obsession game variations, along with two minor rule variations, and there's the Jane Austen one, which basically is pure randomness. Then there is the Emily Bronte, the seasonal market, uh, a game with a renovation focus that seasonally turns over the builder's market. So in other words, if you want more churn and burn throughout the market, you can include that one. The Queen Victoria one, a game with a renovation focus that creates a dynamic builder's market by removing the cheapest tile at the end of every round. Again, churn and burn in the market. Then there's the, uh, the Charles Dickens version. A game mm-hmm. that introduces a great deal of courtship uncertainty, if you wish there to be. Maybe maybe you just don't want to know what the Fairchilds are going to want at the end of a season. Then that's just revealed, ta-da, at the end. Did you guess right? I would argue that more strategic gamers will probably cringe at that idea. I understand that. I, that does not interest me. But if you prefer that, it's there. And then... There's standard play, and then there's extended play. Standard play is four rounds in each season, and extended play, there are five rounds in each season, so it makes for a longer game. And then from there, there's the uh, the starter guest card draft. You can actually draft in there. And there is, and then intensive service as well. So those are the different variants. And then with the base game, you have all of the different AI opponents that you can have and you and i have kind of covered how the the, there isn't a lot of interaction in this game It, it is fairly uh multiplayer solitaire so the solo game doesn't feel really any different than playing the multiplayer game in that regard which i see that as a positive overall and on top of all of this There is the expansion, Upstairs and Downstairs, which there are people that feel that it is critically important to include the Upstairs, Downstairs. I wouldn't go quite that far, but I think it's a clear benefit to the game to include Upstairs and Downstairs, the the expansion. But the thing that it has also is maybe you don't want to play just the standard solo game. Well, the good news is it adds what it calls... The Solo Estate Challenge. Uh, The traditional obsession solitaire puzzle is finessing courtship against increasingly difficult solo uh, opponents. The Solo Estate Challenge eliminates courtship and shifts the focus to country estate development as the path to to victory. So if you want to just focus on building your estate up and not having to worry about wooing the Fairchilds, well, there you go. There's that. And then... Then there's two other things in the expansion, which is Tableau Obsession, which uh, Dan calls Obsession obsession Chess. It is designed to remove almost all randomness and variability that represents Victorian fate in traditional play. And finally, there's competitive team play, because the upstairs-downstairs, in addition to everything else it adds, makes it playable for five or six players. Full disclosure. Never played at five or six. Not sure I want to. Not sure I have a table to do so. No. So 
just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> that said, uh, but yeah, overall, I found the solo game to be legitimately fantastic. I so much so, so much so that when I was preparing for the play or for the for recording this over the last couple of days, I made a decision. I was like, okay, I really want to play this again a lot. So in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to stream it again and I'm going to do the solo estate challenge. Cause that's the one aspect of it that I haven't streamed yet. Why? Nice. Cause I want to play it. Cause I enjoyed the solo game that much. And again, the solitaire game doesn't feel really hardly any different. And it takes less than a minute, if not less than 30 seconds to run the solo AI on its turn. So it's super simple, super streamlined. And the amount of people that I read comments from that said, I am not a solitaire gamer, but I've played this solo and have thoroughly enjoyed it kind of says something to that as well. And as someone that has played their fair share of solo games over the last 12 months and considering what you were talking about in the last episode as well, having a um, butter smooth AI to run is, uh, um, yeah, sounds amazing. That's, yeah, that's what you're looking for, I don't know why you haven't played this solo, so you need to fix that as well. Yeah, you're probably right. I'll come to that in a, in a, in a second. Yeah, the, the, there are so many variations that he includes uh, in, in this, and not you know even before you get to, to the expansion. Um, what I was going to say was that the variation that I've kind of come down on the side of playing more often than any of the rest of them. And because you can incorporate a number of these different variations together, you know, you can, because all it does is kind of tweak a particular element of the game, right? Um, I don't see why anyone would play the basic game of this, because essentially you get 12 actions and that's that. Uh, so the expanded version of the, the game. The extended play, yeah, I think. The extended right, yeah, that is That to me is the game. I right? agree. That's, that's where you have... The board shows you five action spaces per season, but practically it's only four. You do four things, and then there's a courtship. You do another four things, there's a courtship, and so on until the end. Um, what I found interesting about uh, the variations, though, is that the variation that I've settled on playing more often than anything is what they call in the book the Charles Dickens variation, which is the variation where normally... At the beginning of every season, you are introduced to the theme that you're going to be uh, encouraged to kind of focus on so that you can court one of the Fairchilds at the end of the season. Uh, and that theme is introduced to you at the very beginning of each season so you can strategically plan for the rest of the season. And there is a flip side of that where you can 100% not know what the theme is until the courtship itself where the theme card gets revealed and you go, oh no, I've drilled down on gardens and I should have gone for prestige. Oh, well, I'm an idiot. What the, what the Charles Dickens one does is it does kind of both of those things. There's a D20 in the box, which I believe is used for the solo game. And what you do at the beginning of every season is you roll that dice. And depending on what number comes up will indicate which action you will be told uh, you, the, the theme will be revealed. So you may roll a one and you get to know the theme instantly at the beginning of the game, just like the normal play of the game. You may roll uh, 17, 18, 19, and 20, I believe it is. You won't find out the theme until the very, very end for the courtship. Or 
with those numbers in between, you will be introduced to the theme and on different actions. It adds a bit of it adds a bit of chaos to the game. I like I love I do like a bit of chaos in my games. And I find if you play with this uh, knowing the theme from the very, very beginning, then everyone focuses down onto that and gets very strategic with it. And then you can see around the table who's going to win the courtship by the time it gets to the end. If you go too far the other direction, it's just a crapshoot, right? It's just a, okay, let's, so let's flip it. Okay, well, you win this time. Maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll win next time, who knows? Um, this is, it could be that way. It might not be that way. You'll find out at the beginning. Oh, we're going to find out on turn two. Well, I can tread water for two turns. And then when I find out what the theme is, maybe I can flex and move towards prestige or I can move towards uh, service buildings or, or, or whatever. Um, but you're not going to know until the beginning of each season. So that to me gives me what the, a little bit of chaos in, in games, which are, which I kind of like. And for me, there's a bit of a difference between. I mean, there's not a significant difference between chaos and randomness, I guess. But this is a kind of chaotic version of the randomness that sometimes you'll be able to plan, sometimes you won't. And that for that for me and my some of the people in my playgroup, um, that's the way we kind of quite like games. You have a bit of both. And I'm on board with that. I misspoke earlier. The the variation one, the closed courtship, that's the one that's uh, that it's revealed at the end of the season. And ta-da! Yeah. So that's the one that I that has no appeal to me whatsoever. Yeah, no, nah, me neither. Um, but neither. actually, the Charles Dickens one that you're describing here, actually, I'm on board with that because it forces all the players at the table to roll with the punches. And you can mm. either just... Everybody then, they know when it's going to be revealed, but it's a universal thing. And now the question is, do you want to, you know, tread water and bide your time? Yeah. Or do you want to, you know, hey, I noticed there's only one prestige tile out there. There might mm. not be any more out there. And if I get it, I'm going to lock everybody else out if it's prestige. So do I want to take that risk? And I'm on board with that. I kind of dig yeah. that idea, honestly. You also have to kind of, if you know what turn that the theme is going to present itself, then you have to plan your hand accordingly because you have to, you have to, for example, okay, so I know on turn three, on round three of the season, well, the theme is going to be revealed. Then do I make sure I've passed before then? So I've got all my good cards in my hand or do I make sure that I have the right servants available so that as soon as that theme's available, I can pounce on it? Um, or do I, you know, depending on the passing and depending on what servants you have, you're kind of trying to figure out when you're going to be the first player to be able to act on it. And so there's another element of the strategic planning, kind of slightly different uh, element of strategic planning that you don't have perhaps in the standard kind of variation where everyone knows what everyone's fighting for every single season. So that was, yeah, that was enough. There's enough little bit of chaotic strategy in there to kind of appeal, um, certainly appeal to me. And we also play with, there's a variation where basically at the end of every, at the end of every round, you ditch the cheapest card and the cheapest tile on the market. I think it's a Queen Victoria variant or something. So it just constantly keeps the market moving. Every single turn, you know that if someone doesn't buy that first one, yeah, if someone doesn't buy that first tile, it's going to have gone. Uh, because it's constantly moving and that, uh, that enables you to kind of hopefully set up your objectives a bit better because you know that the market's constantly in flux. So just these little tweaks are enough to kind of appeal to, you know, the more kind of strategy 
uh, focused player. I yeah, think. Le- le- less randomness. There's still randomness, obviously, with the Queen oh, yeah, Victoria one, right? Because you don't know what's coming out when. But there's mm-hmm. going to be more tiles drawn, which means, you know, it's hey, faster, I'm waiting right? for that one tile. There's a better chance that that's going to come out. So it makes it more strategic in that regard. Absolutely. And I have a bunch of other stuff written down here about production value and the storage system and just the general feel and the stories that come out from this game. But I feel like we've already touched on all of these things, right? Yeah. Um, and, and the one other thing that I wanted to mention as far as the expansion goes, the upstairs, downstairs is not only, yeah, it adds, uh, Another family, I think it's the Howard family, I think it is, Mm. uh, and all this other stuff. But it introduces new servants, which uh, are the hall boy, the cook, the head housemaid, and the useful man. Oh, the useful man. You got to love the useful man. And they, that straddles the line for me of, does it go a little too far as far as, okay, keeping all the roles straight for the different servants who can be used for the what and okay this one can sub in for that but only if i have this tile oh yeah and so that's where it starts to get a little bit up pushes up against are we getting a little far into the weeds with it there or not and it's 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 getting close to the line i'm not saying it's crossing that line but it's getting close so that's something to keep in mind with the upstairs downstairs so though to those people that say it's vital, I don't think so. I think there's no. plenty of game in the second edition box uh, without the expansion that I don't think it's necessary, but if you want to add more, then there's more. Sometimes, and this is the same with a number of expansions, uh, I find that if you're adding, so in this case, you add more servants. So you have the potential to have a ton more servants and some of the objectives kind of lean into that say that you need to the end of the game you need to have one of every small servant or or whatever so there's there's more wood on your board uh, uh, essentially but there's having played maybe half my games i've played it with the with the expansion and with the new um the new workers i think the original game still has still has teeth because you have the ability to by fewer uh, fewer servants. You have a smaller cohort of servants and you're trying to do, you're still trying to, you know, win the game um, with less variation of servants. And that can be harder. You know, I've, I've ended the game with upstairs, downstairs with about 15, 16 pieces of wood in my servants' quarters and kind of going, well, I can do anything I want. I can absolutely do anything because, you know, I play six cards out in front of me that gets you gets rid of all of that. I've still got, you know, seven or eight servants still sitting there. So it, can, it becomes a bit, comes a, to use a word of use over it, it becomes a little bit flabbier. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the useful man though. Big fan of the, the kind of one-time use kind of uh, useful man to like bomb, to like smart bomb the market. Just to go, no, let's get rid of that. Or um, yeah, do enjoy buying a useful man. Even just to, again, the thematic kind of thing. I have a very useful man. We don't know what he does yet. And you'll find out what he does, but he's very useful. Wink, wink. And there's like four, and there's four or five things that he can do, right? Right. He's so, a fixer. He's a get out of jail is. free card kind of yeah. type thing, right? Yeah. So I quite enjoyed that. And yeah, just one of the other uh, 
it has deck building, right? Which we've already talked about. And we've talked about how the Americans tend to be really, really helpful money-wise, but not so much reputation. There is a mechanism in the game, because it's a deck builder, to be able to uh, get rid of the, uh, the, the folks that wouldn't be good for you at the end of the game, because they're going to be worth negative victory points. And that just introduces a never, a, another level of strategic planning, which is, oh, wow, if I got an American heiress early on, 900 pounds? Oh, you betcha. That is a huge amount of money. That is going to be extremely, extremely beneficial. But if she's in my deck at the end of the game, then I'm going to lose victory points. And it's not like you're scoring oodles of victory points in this game. So mm-hmm. having a couple of negatives in there, not really, not really great. So it then becomes a, a, a question of timing. Do I play the American heiress to get that influx of cash and, and, and take the hit in the reputation, which, okay, that's fine. Do I play, you know, when I get her back into my hand, do I play her again? Then do I play her again, et cetera, et cetera, to where you're hemorrhaging reputation, but man, you're swimming in money, which is going to allow you to buy more state tiles, which is going to allow you to do more things and more flexibility, but you better time it right to get her out of your deck and to dismiss her. And if not, kill the, kill the American heiress. Right. Yep. Um, <laughs> so there, there's that timing aspect that. It's just, it's just another layer that is just so, so enjoyable in this game. Yeah. Anyone that's played any kind of functional deck builder that has a, uh, that has a trashing the card mechanism, um, this, is, this is essentially that. But again, the randomness kind of comes into it because I've played games where I've never drawn any negative victory point card at all. I've never needed to use the dismiss guest action and my entire deck is... Uh, out of my entire deck, there is not a single negative victory point. In it. I've probably still lost. Don't get me wrong, but right. but uh, but it, but again, the 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 kind of top deck draw, even though you're seeing a couple of cards, um, means that yeah, you can go the whole game and not see a bad card. But the flip side is also true. You know, you can you know fill your hand with a lot of good cards of and then cats. have to waste time. A lot of cats. Yeah, and and then have to waste time kind of dismissing them and and, and getting rid of them and making sure they're not in your in in your deck yeah but it's not just like in like a dominion oh i want to get rid of these weaker cards there is Mm. some of that but it's also wow these are really useful throughout the game i mean these are really good cards just don't get caught with them at the end of the game or you better you know mitigate that if so yeah risk for risk reward right you want it early and all that stuff and um especially when you draw because it's worth mentioning you have two you have two decks of cards you can draw off of and one of the decks of cards are what they call casual guests. These are generically okay cards. They have low reputation, which means that you can play them quite early in the game. Eventually, you will get to draw off the other deck, which are the prestige. Prestige guests. The prestige, which is where the viscounts and the majors and the like come from. And they can only be played when you're at high levels of reputation and their bonuses are incredibly good and... Uh, but again, some of the penalties on them can be really, really harsh. And if you don't get them until late in the game, you might only get a chance to play them once before you can then trash them, or the game ends before you get a chance to trash them. And you better hope you got some benefit of them. So, so yeah, deck building stuff as well. Yep. All good. So on the flip side, things not to like. I mean, there's lots of variants. 
some people see that as a negative. Some people see it as a lack of development. Some people see it as, I see it as options. It's, it, it gives you the flexibility to tailor the game to how you want to play it. The downside of it is if you get people like you go to a convention, you know, when those things ever happen again, then, oh, sit down. Oh, well, how do you want to play this? Do you want to have this? Do you want it? It, it makes it a little bit more taxing in that regard, but I see it as a general positive, but just throwing that out there. And then just the general randomness. If you go through the comments, uh, the, I mean, 90 plus percent of any of the negatives is the level of randomness. But I think we've, I think we've established either ways to mitigate it, variants to eliminate it, or how it actually benefits gameplay in a lot of ways. No, I, I, I really don't see, certainly the variants that are in this book, I don't really see them reflecting a lack of development. I see them reflecting someone who knows their game inside out and back to front and knows what different gamers might want from that game. And so rather than post a Word document on Board Game Geek three weeks after it comes out or whatever, saying, oh, you might want to play it like this, incorporating it into the game itself to kind of say, okay, here are some variants that may address some of the ways that you would like to play this game shows a confidence in the game as far as i'm concerned it shows a confidence that that he knows exactly what the game does he knows ex exactly what the game doesn't do he knows exactly uh who will like certain parts of this game and perhaps who wouldn't like some parts of these games here are some ways that you can mitigate that uh he lays it all out there and allows you to kind of tailor your own game yeah i i, I think it's i think it shows uh, especially for his first game, it's, it shows a uh, shows an amazing amount of confidence to kind of say, okay, here's the game, but just mess with it in any way you want, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's really, I really mean, nice. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And there's a note here. It says, let's talk about ta uh, Tableau Builders, shall we? So here's my, um, here's my kind of mid-review turnaround, I guess. I can't see me playing this very often right i like it i think it's for all of the hours and hours we've just talked about all how all the fantastic kind of prose that it has and and uh how beautiful a thing it is and how thematic it is uh games and certainly when reviews of games uh, reviews of anything are understandably very very subjective and I've got a bit of a thing about Tableau Builders and have done for a mm, couple of years now, I think. And this has only really been kind of exacerbated, really, I guess, by the pandemic. Because I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, that as soon as the world decided I wasn't allowed to play board games with my friends anymore, I started playing solo games. Grand. Uh, enjoyed playing the solo games that I did. Still can't quite believe I never got around to this one. Same. Um, I, shame. Well. Shame. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe I can uh, for the following reasons. Um, and I once started to be able to play games with other people again. Uh, well, I'll go back a bit. I'm quite comfortable playing numerous multiplayer solitaire games. Well, just solitaire games on my own. Or even multiplayer solitaire games as two players, right? Whiles away in evening. Enjoy solving a puzzle. 
um, multiplayer solitaire games by their very nature are I'll solve a puzzle and you solve a puzzle and let's see who does, who it, does better. it better, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's see who does it better. Got no problem with doing that in my own house with my wife because I can't see anyone else and get to use all your games. Now the world's opening up again and I'm getting to see my friends again. I don't want to stare at a tableau. I want to talk to them. I want to mess with them. I want to negotiate with them. I want to play games that encourage me to interact with them. And a lot of the tableau builders that I've had on my shelf for a while, I've started to slowly get rid of because I think I've discovered over the years that one of the, that my one of the things that I need with a game, I need not just enjoy, but one of the things I need with a game is interaction. I, 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 it's, it's what, it's what fuels my desire to sit around a table and play games at all is the interaction with other people, whether it be positive or negative interaction. Right. right? I still, I, I, I don't mind. I'm playing games with people instead of playing games at people. And this is by no means saying that uh, every tableau builder in the world is a terrible game. They're incredible games. They just, at this point in my life, are not what I want from a tabletop experience. So you, right? you want a heads-up game, not a head-down game? I do want a heads I don't want people staring at my forehead or my, you know, my receding hairline i want people staring at my rapidly graying face instead <laughs> you know i want to talk to them i want to smile at them i want to shout at them i want to and cheer I, with them i think you that's know. fair i think that's totally reasonable and yeah i mean i hear you and i feel similar but different in a sense that i really enjoy tableau builders i have no problem mm. but that is you know, when I'm solo gaming or kind of like what you said, if Jess and I are sitting here and just kind of, you know, see who can no do it better type thing, we yeah. get people around the table. This isn't necessarily going to be the the first game that I want to pull out because of the exact same reasons. I mean, we've gone, yeah. what, a year, 14 months, whatever it is now, uh, that we haven't been able to really do that a, a whole lot, if at all. So I hear you not right now, but mm. at the same time, there was me earlier talking about how when I was preparing for the show, I was going through this. I was like, damn it, I really want to play this. So I'm going to make sure I stream this in a couple of weeks that way, because if I'm going to play a game, I'm going to stream it. And so, but with the caveat, I'm going to do that solo. So there's yeah. the, there that's is it. where you and I are in agreement. And that's not to say that I don't enjoy this multiplayer. I mean, it certainly helped having Martin Fowler in your game group because you know or or <laughs> or a you know a a a you know uh uk based person um because i mean the accent i mean it just it just suits right i mean given mm -hmm. jane Austen's the game right but uh but yeah i for i i want to play it more i so i yeah. hear you and i agree in some ways but i do think that eventually that may come around to where, hey, want to get this back to the table. Abs I mean, absolutely. And like I said, this is the purely subjective and kind of contextual kind of part of the review because it's very, you know, a year ago, I probably wouldn't be saying this. Sure, this a is year the 2021. Year yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It, yeah. So it's a game that doesn't initially, and the, the reason I got hold of it in the first place is because I guess I wasn't aware that it was a tableau builder. 
because it doesn't initially fit the look of a tableau builder. Yeah, but it, and that's only a portion of it. No, no, of course, right? of course. Um, and so I think when I first played it, and I slowly realized that what I was doing was staring at the table rather than staring at people, I was, you know, okay, so this is what the game is. And as far as tableau builders go, it's among the best out there. Do not get me wrong. It's absolutely fantastic. It's just not the game I need right now. And uh, totally reasonable. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that might be, that might be the same for, for other people. I have a shelf of games that I cannot wait to kind of play with other people. Almost none of them, in fact, I'd say none of them are tableau builders at all. And again, it's just where we are in the world at the moment and what games I've played over the last year and who I've played them with or rather who I haven't played them with. So if this is what you, if, if, if this kind of game appeals to you, then you will love this game. Uh, for me right now, this, this has been pushed to the side because of other things are more important to me. So it's, it's, you know, it's a caveat, but it's a very personal caveat. And it might be a caveat that other people kind of agree with because of the way where the world is for everyone at the moment. Um, as far as I said, as, as far as games of this type go, it's right up there. There's very little to fault with it for all the reasons we've said. Uh, as for whether I can see me playing it uh, over the space in the next couple of months, I think I have other things to do. Fair enough. On that note, some comment that I found on BGG. Oh, yeah. All right. Do you like Downton Abbey or, and or Jane Austen books? Odds are Oof. you're going to like Obsession then. The theme really shines through in the Shiro, and that is both good and bad. It's bad because the theme dictates the mechanisms, so you may have some crazy swings. It's good because the theme dictates the mechanisms, so everything you do feels highly thematic and gives the feeling and atmosphere of what happens in the game. I think that sums up what we've been saying. Totally fair. All good. I shouldn't like this. There's some luck factors involved. The theme isn't something I should like. And why would I want to spend a few hours trying to court anyone? Holy crap. <laughs> this is such a great game. The love of the designer comes through in every card. The components are fantastic. The replayability is immense. The theme is so much fun. Immediately a top 10 game for me after one play. Probably a top five game with Brass and Hansa Teutonica after another play. I think it's very telling that someone on a Board Game Geek forum has come out with the line, why would I want to spend a few hours trying to court anyone? <laughs> hours? Not days, weeks, months? All right. Um, what a waste of time. Right, right? Yeah. Well-designed game, but the rulebook makes it much more complicated than it should be. I was let down by the theme, which was strong, yet shallow. The theme revolves around hosting activities over and over and over again. Stories can be entertaining, but it's not enough to drive the game. The tableau building puzzle is fantastic, but much more of a brain burner than I was expecting. So, I'm a bit of a mixed bag there. Yeah, that seems to go in a number of different directions. You did, right? Yeah. I laughed. I cried. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. I can't believe it turned out to be good. Right. Seriously. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't care at all about Jane Austen stories. Even more, I've been tortured more times than I can count with Pride and Prejudice on TV. That being said, 
I was not that eager to play the game when a friend started explaining the rules, but I was like, I let's give it a try. And it was quite good. You need your engine and fit more people than you could ever think you can inside your manor, all while exploiting cheap workforce in the form of servants. Really neat game that I would like to play again. <laughs> Probably not that cheap. <laughs> right? Probably not that cheap. <laughs> when the principal complaint of the gaming group is that the game isn't long enough, you found a winner, and a winner is what I found in Obsession. I thought that was pretty, <laughs> nice. pretty clever. Yeah, that's nice. 30 minutes to explain and a lifetime of haughty disapproval. Oh, perfect. Oh, perfect. All righty. All right. And one last one. <laughs> I'm going to butcher this. I, I feel like you should be the one reading this, but here we go. I'll do it. If you, I'll do it. If oh, you yeah. Like. That last one. Go for it. The Viscount has invited the distastefully nouveau riche American heiress round for a stonking weekend of ladies' tennis and secured lucrative business connections for the estate in so doing. But then in a shocking turn of events insinuated to her guest that perhaps her society might be better appreciated in the colonies and sent her packing. These sorts of hilarious stories emerge quite naturally from the gameplay which integrates the theme perfectly. The mechanics are also satisfying and lead to lots of meaningful decisions. I very much recommend this if the theme appeals to you. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> I was I was born in England. <laughs> that was that was proper. All right, so there we go. Um, you being the guest, good sir. Um, your honor summary. You wanna you wanna hit that up? I think my summary is kind of just reiterating what if if I mean that is by this, default what a summary is. Uh, yeah, you want. To, I think what I'll do with the summary is to summarize. This is like what I used to do with like papers at, at, at college. Uh, you know, you do a, your conclusion paragraph to say. In conclusion, I would like to summarize what I've said in the rest of this paper. Like, yeah, we know what a conclusion is, man. <laughs> but you've just wasted 20 words saying it and it's word count, right? So, um, in conclusion, I think it's a beautifully produced, well, uh, extremely well integrated, um, kind of, as you say, butter smooth tableau builder that tells lovely stories around the table. Um, is very easy to kind of get other to onboard other people into the game, and as far as a tableau builder is concerned, if this if that's what appeals to you, it's right up there with one of the kind of nicest tabletop uh, ex tableau building experiences I think that you can have. If that's your bag, I think this is going to appeal to folks that enjoy a little bit more mechanically than your typical midweight euro. And I think this is going to appeal to people that want a theme-heavy game. Mm. And this is the type of game that is going to evoke a lot of stories, like you said, as well as a lot of conversation and a lot of laughs, you know, as far as, you know, terrible aristocratic British voices. Uh, but as well what, as... I have no idea what you mean. Well, well, no, 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 no. I mean, you come about it honestly, at least. <laughs> but I think there is so much good here and oh, yeah. there are ways to mitigate the less savory folks or less savory, uh, aspects of it. i.e., the, uh, large amounts of randomness in this that I think it would be a disservice that if this, if you enjoy your, you know, a little bit more than a midweight Euro, you would be. 
doing yourself a disservice to not give Obsession a try. I, I would be very shocked if someone told me they didn't have fun playing this from any level of, of gamer, even your hardcore top of the line, I want to sit around and push some, push some counters for five hours. You can't not have fun playing it. Uh, and at the same time as it giving you a puzzle to solve. Uh, and the, 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 there's just the fun element of spending time with your friends and telling is just they telling these stories and kind of having a right good laugh at some of the stuff on, uh, that, that's incorporated in this game is just such an important part of why you play games at a table. And this just fits perfectly. And the last thing that I will say about it is if you were a solo gamer, I think you are going to be very, very pleased with, nice. with a Obsession. So, rating time. So, we rate on a one to six scale. One, burn it with fire. Six, Hall of Fame. Everything else is somewhere in between there. But realistically, four for me, a four is a game that I want to uh, I want to own and I, I'm going to start seeking out. A five is going to be a great game and a six is an Hall of Famer. And so, I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that this is probably going to fall somewhere in that range. Or both of us, mm. but you being the guest, good sir. Do you do halves? No, you know better. You know better. No, if it's if it's if it's four point nine, it's a four. We don't round. No, it, if it if it doesn't have the chops to make it to that level, then it. it but let's face it, I think this is kind of arbitrary. I've always thought that giving a game a rating at the end is mm. very arbitrary because we have now spent I don't know what two hours or so discussing. <laughs> The ins and outs, the goods, the bads, the positives, the negatives, the the things that drive it, the the things that make it appealing, the things that less so. If you can't make your own determination off of that, then we've done a horrible job. But if you want to boil it down to a simple number, here we are. And I eh, whatever. But I know we're here. I'll go first if you want then. Yeah. Since you're that, hedging. Yeah, yeah, go on. I think it's a solid five for me. Uh, because of the fact that I realized what you said about tableau builders and the head down versus heads up game. I think this is a wonderful experience. I mean, it's all the things that I've already said, but the thing that pushes it to a five for me, uh, from a solid four is the solo experience is absolutely mm. fantastic. And I've enjoyed this across the entire player count with the caveat that I'm not looking to play this five or six with the expansion period no just one to four but i probably i i think the sweet spot solo absolutely but i think it plays really well at two or three as well mm. um but yeah i think it's a very very solid five for me and a game that i would absolutely seek out if i didn't already have a copy I love the idea of someone listening to us waffle on for two hours about this and then go, well, I don't care what they've been saying for two hours. Give me a star rating. That's the only thing I care <laughs> right? about. I mean, that's gets, ultimately what it comes down to, right? Gets their podcast app out, <laughs> listens to the first, you know, five minutes that we introduce yourself and then skips to two minutes before the end and goes, cool, okay, it was a four. Great, great, moving on. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys, come on. Um, yeah, this is... Mm, 
kind of want to be I want to be objective about it, but I f it's it's not possible. It, it, because, no, reviews you know, can ratings, never be objective. They shouldn't be objective. Ratings are personal, right? Yeah. You don't, hey, you, I mean, you, between you between last episode and all of this episode, I think people have a pretty good view, uh, feel for what, mm. where you are right now as well as what you're about. And I think that's that's all they, they could ask for. Yeah. So with all that in mind, and with everything I've said that in mind, I give it, I kind of give it an almost kind of like regretful four because I'd like to give it five, but unfortunately it's me, right? You vote from the heart, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, and I've not played the solo game, but I feel like I've played the solo game, if you know what I mean. Sure. Having, you know, and it's, I'm bearing in mind I can't see my friends for another few weeks. I'm, and I've got the game out on table in front of me. I'm quite now, bearing in mind we've been talking about it, quite tempted to get it out and have a shot solo. Um, until I do, uh, and bearing in mind my own personal kind of, you know, wants and do not wants, I'm going to give it a solid a four. Uh, you know, it's four stars, but it reads like a five. <laughs> if you had it written down. I feel so, like this is coming with an apology to Dan. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's what I mean. It's a regretful four. It's, it's, I think timing plays else. a big part in this, but, and, yeah, and it, it does. It absolutely right? does. I mean, it, again, if this had been a year ago before the pandemic, you might not feel this way. Absolutely. And, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think that's reasonable. Yeah. And and everything has been well reasoned out. We've explained the why. Yeah, I think I, again, in the end, I don't want to say it's a stupid number at the end because I think, I, I mean, you and I both, I've been doing this now for 151 episodes and I, I have anguished over some of these because I feel like it carries weight. I feel like it matters. So I, we're, we're not mm -hmm. doing it willy nilly, but it also, if you look back, if I were to review some of the games that I reviewed way back in the day and do it now, would it still hold up? Would it still have the same rating? Mm. Could it possibly go up? Could it go down? Of course, everything changes. Everything's fluid. But in this point in time, you know, April 2021, here we are. I'll flip it on its head. For me to give a tableau builder four out of six is quite something. There you go. All right. Yeah. All right. So there you have it. Our review of obsession for man <laughs> all right uh so that's it that's a wrap uh it's draft night tonight i realize for here in the u.s i realize everyone just said click i get it sports ball yeah yeah so i'm looking forward to it uh anything you're looking forward to um coming up just in oh, general I mean, life white now i realize getting together with people like going out to eat stuff like yeah i go into the pub whatever i get that but what are you most looking forward to right now I'm immediate also, horizon oh i'm looking forward to the fact that we have a, a bank holiday on monday which means everyone gets a day off what work. is that what, so, what's the bank holiday it's just a national holiday now, but what uh, is it oh it's i think it's may day right it's like it, it's close to the, the first monday in may yeah what um, the hell is may day though it's just been a national holiday for as long as anyone could remember. Hey, we don't want to work the first day in May. Boom, yeah. done. Yeah. It will probably be, you know, May it will 3rd. be to do with spring and all that okay. because it's May Day and dancing around the maypole and all that. But so most of us, and I work for the civil service, so I get Monday off work, so I've got a long weekend. Excellent. Um, I'm looking forward to my vaccination in a couple of weeks. God damn it. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and everything else is kind of just, you know, gravy at the moment. I'm just waiting for the vaccination. Uh, the, we're allowed to meet people. We're allowed to have people introduce people into our house. 
um, much like Obsession. I'll be introducing them in you know, like, a foot, like a footman. I you to announce publicly <laughs> uh, to everybody in the household, everyone, I would like to bring to your attention. It's an easy date to remember. It's the 17th of May because it's my wedding anniversary. Oh, wow. So Happy Monday the 17th of May, uh, we will not be allowing anyone in our house. <laughs> now I'll go back on that because it's my bloody wedding anniversary. So, But every time after that, all good. So yeah, that's that, that's it. Just generally kind of fingers crossed vaccination, looking forward to all of the things. That's awesome. Well, uh, congratulations to you and Helen, first off, and uh, happy anniversary. And I'm excited for I, I'm uh, for my end. Um, I mean, uh, okay, I'm, I was being a little, you know, superficial with the draft and everything tonight for the NFL. <laughs> no, yeah. you were. I mean, no, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. It'd be cool, but it's not going to <laughs> change my life one way or the other. Um, Jess is getting her vaccine, like I said, on Friday, her second one. So that means two weeks from Friday, we're then fully vaccinated. That's, that's, Yay. it's a weight off our shoulders more than anything. Totally. I think it is right. Uh, we, the other night, um, Jess made some, uh, some carrot cake, uh, muffins and some cream cheese frosting. And we were able to bring it to our neighbors. We had masks Yay. on when we went over there and had mentioned that, you know, I'm vaccinated and our neighbor, uh, they are vaccinated as well. And here in a couple of weeks, we'll be able to get to get around and sit around the fire outside. They have a little like fire pit and just normalcy, right? Yeah. Just looking forward to that. And yeah. Oh, and it's I, the same thing. Oh, uh, and, and I had surgery, uh, last Friday and looking forward to getting back to being a hundred percent. So there's that. There we go. Good, it's good, isn't it? It's like everyone's looking forward to normalcy. Right. No. <laughs> I look forward to the time where I can look forward to exceptional things <laughs> as well. Like you can ask me that question in six months' time and go, oh my God, I've got this incredible holiday coming up or I've got this incredible gig that I'm playing at a really big venue nearby, whatever. Now we're just hoping for normalcy yeah, and just that's, like, that's enough. I would like to be able to have somebody over for dinner. That'd be yeah. great. So I feel But like you know, that'll be an, that would be enough, as the man in Hamilton says. Uh... Baby steps, and you know what? I I think this hopefully will change our perspective going forward and make us appreciate the little things in life in general. Totally. So. Totally. All right. Well, Tony, well done. Thank you very, very much for doing this the last Thank couple you. of weeks, man. This has been uh this has been a lot of fun and I mean in a lot of ways, you know, normalcy. So thanks for doing this, man. It's good to see you. No, yeah, thanks for having us. It's good to be on. Uh you're on Twitter, right? I am indeed. I am Cockbongo on Twitter. Don't ask. Uh, pretty much anywhere you see that word, it'll probably be me. Again, don't ask. So I never yeah, have. Twitter, Twitch, all of these things. All right. And no, you never have. That's I, I, probably well, because you said don't ask, so I don't ask. <laughs> uh, and obviously, uh, Heavy Cardboard uh, for the show, Sir Felix Cat or me personally. And uh, yeah, that's it. So hey, the show's back on a weekly basis. Hooray. So big thanks to... Jess, big thanks to Greg, our podcast editor. Big thanks to Tony for being the guest host this week. And looking forward to, there may be episodes where I'm not even on this. It could be Jess, it could be Martin, it could be who knows. We'll see how it goes, but weekly it will be. So until then, social distance, wear your mask, be kind to one another, and be patient. Give people the benefit of doubt. Catch you all next week. Take care, everybody. Bye.